Hello, welcome to Sound Engagement, a podcast devoted to engaging with our culture and community from a Christian worldview. I'm Brad Mills. I'm Peter Anderson. So good to see you, buddy. It's been a while. Good to see you. Yeah. Even though we've been uh, talking for about an hour. Just <laughs> <laughs> I know, but this is supposed to be the natural intro into a, yeah. a conversation. It's like we just met and, um, yes. and we're introducing yeah. ourselves to the world right now and to one another. So Still you look good. good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing CrossFit every day. My wife loves it when I um, brag like that. She thinks it's so um, Man, I, when I do that. <laughs> she yeah, hates it. Well, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't tell from looking at you, so that's good. Oh, um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, you only see yeah. that. Yeah, the, the waist up, man. You know, that's yeah. right. Your, <laughs> your face looks like it always did. Um, okay. I guess that's a so, good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I take that as a compliment. Um, yeah. All right. So I wanted to begin just with a brief summary of what we plan on doing. I know we yeah. don't want to spend forever uh, just in this opening episode. We really just wanted to give an introduction, kind of letting people know what the post- podcast is about, um, and then also take a, a little bit of time to talk about our, our personal stories that what got us to where we are. Um, if we go really long on the podcast intro, uh, we'll try to be brief on our personal intros just to, to not make this, um, a three hour conversation, which it easily could if we tried. Um, so, and then I'll close out with just a, a description of where people can find us, uh, where they can connect. If you want to chime in at that point, feel free to to let people know uh, where they can reach you, where you'd prefer people to connect with you. Um, and then, so I thought we'd start with just saying what led to this podcast. It, mm. I know you reached out to me. We were friends on Facebook, which I had been off Facebook for three years and just tired of the drama and and only thought I was going to dip my toe back in during this lockdown because you know I thought well if I can't connect with people in in person then I'll try to connect somehow I need to have that social interaction at some level mm-hmm. I I I I really enjoy that and I really enjoy being able to dialogue even about complicated issues. So I, I'm not afraid to kind of, you know, tackle some of the stuff that, that uh, people want to avoid <laughs> because they don't want to lose friends. Um, but I, I'm, I'm trying to do it in a way that's, you know, um, that allows us to engage with people who have different views and not immediately alienate or polarize ourselves like the rest of the world is doing. And so that means you have to be willing to, to, to give some pushback where it's warranted, right? But, but doing it in love. So we'll talk more about that. But I do think it watching you interact on Facebook in the way and the things that you were sharing, and it, it sort of brought us to a point where we said, hey, we've got a lot of similarities that would be worth exploring. Is yeah. that kind of assessment? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I, I, the podcast itself is something I've been thinking of for quite a while. And I think it just came natural for, for the two of us. We just decided to connect one day and I felt like we would be a good fit. You're in one, you and I are totally different parts of the country, but I would say that we're both in similar parts of the country that we both come from a very right. similar background. You're coming from a more progressive, new I guess new progressive, you would probably say. I probably come from a more old progressive up here in New England. You can, you're there in California. So, um, being who we are, our own personal positions maybe make us feel like we're a little odd, odd fish in the water sometimes. Right. Um, and uh, I think the podcast started becoming more of a reality for me because I, like probably many people, felt so helpless during COVID, and um, it after the whole. George Floyd stuff and um, some other things that had occurred that really kind of divided our nation, our church, our, you know, even families. Uh, I, it was so easy um, to either go to a place of serious despair or go to a place where you just want to escape or go to a place where it's like, I need to do something that I can control. And that is maybe just speak my own mind on certain issues and maybe kind of share that with somebody that 
not necessarily sees exactly the way I see, because um, I think one of the things that we'll be talking about is the problem with groupthink, for example, and that's what we're seeing a lot of uh, in today's context. But somebody that just didn't feel afraid to explore the complexities of some things that are going on in today's society that needs nuance. Because one of the things that the you know that social media does not allow us to have is nuance. It puts right. things in binary terms puts things in black and white, you must be on this side. And if you're not, kind of like the mask issue, you know, you're either pro-mask or anti-mask. You're either, you know, pro-cop or anti-cop. You're either pro-Black Lives Matter, you're anti-Black. And all of these matters, I'm much like, you know, when I started reading some of your posts as well, it's like, okay, oh, this guy seems like he, he's not satisfied with just the hashtags or- Right, just like, the typical oh, polarizing answers, right? Yeah. The, the, ex- yeah. the extremes. Mm-hmm. I definitely think we we fall into that naturally. We we want to be around. It, it creates that echo chamber of, of information that we we thrive on because we say, "Oh yeah, yeah everyone thinks just like me," and yet <laughs> we're right, polarized. Right. The more we do that, so mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I felt like um, I there was a lot of similarities in turn, and I think you know we've also acknowledged that we probably aren't going to see eye to eye on everything, and there's going to be room mm-hmm. for for kind of some critical thinking on both our parts to, to push back on assumptions we have about these various topics. But um, in general, I think we're coming from um, a position that's sort of, you know, hopefully a, a very gra- biblically grounded uh, thought process that's <laughs> not out of accord with, you know, with scripture, but also engages with culture um, in a way that's, that's, uh, looking at big picture data and not just sort of anecdotal information. So for me, that's a that's been a big frustration is how do you push back against someone's story, right? This whole idea of like lived experience. You can, you share it and it's just the mic drop, right? No one can respond to it because how do you, cor- how do you say, no, that's not true. Your experience was wrong. Um, you can't, but I want to say that your experience does not stand in for your entire race, right? I mean, you should be able to say that. For instance, I don't speak for all white people. So I'm not going to say, you know, um, all white Christians need to think in this way or all white Christians should act in this way. And yet, man, so many things, I mean, so many posts on on Facebook are are saying just that. You know, it's like, hey, dear white Christians, you guys need to, need to learn this stuff. And you know, there may be some things that we need to genuinely take to heart and and consider and wrestle with. Have we have we bought into a narrative that is just wrapped up with uh, fundamental, you know, politics or something fundamentalism and and this this notion of conservative politics that drives us? Um, or you know, because you have the same argument. For, for all sides, right? It could be, well, you're just following the liberal talking points or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think, pro- at least for me, I fall a little closer to a libertarian position and maybe I just am yeah. a closet libertarian because I don't, I, I've not really ever admitted that. I'm still a registered, <laughs> you know, uh, Republican voter, but I do question a lot of things mm-hmm. in my Republican, you know, that I've grown up with. I there's I'm not always been aligned with the Republican platform. Yeah. Fine. Let's okay, go cool. ahead and start with uh kind of your background and then I'll I'll explain who I yeah. am. Yeah, because I want to experience I want to hear more about what your what your um yeah, I'm gonna try to be brief say. and I'm gonna yeah. only let a little bit out of the bag each episode. Oh okay. Right? Yeah, there's good. there's yeah, it's good to be good mysterious. Mass- <laughs> I like that. I, like, okay, I'll I'll, I'll be mysterious as well. This is like we're dating. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so, good. No, um, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, to tell our listeners, listeners that don't know me, I'm sure at first, um, many of the listeners probably will know me. So I, uh, just to jump right in, I am a therapist. I got my MDiv with, with you, Brad, um, at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, um, and after my MDiv, I decided to stay on and become uh, stay on to become a marriage family therapist, major in mar- marriage family therapy, and then moved up here to Massachusetts and then uh, got a THM in um, um, Old Testament and then uh, decided to be a therapist, family therapist primarily. And now I own my own practice. So I'm, I'm primarily a therapist. So, yeah, I think. Uh, nice. And I, I, you know what? I did not know prior to logging back in and kind of reconnecting with you. I didn't know that you had a THM from Gordon Conwell. 
uh, in yeah, Hebrew. I got yeah, Hebrew and uh, love Hebrew. I uh, still have a desire one day to do something in psychological criticism, um, wow. which would be interpreting the book of Job from the lens of both psychology and scripture to try to use psychology as an interpretive lens, not for the whole Bible, but for how to understand grief, how to understand trauma within wow. particular passages. Joke. So that's that that's sounds fascinating. Is that a is that another degree then that you need? Yeah, you need a, looking at it probably a uh, fifth in the year two. Yeah, fifth. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so why not? You know, Let's just keep going. Yeah. No, I I love I, I love writing and I love um tr I love both of those facets. Looking at psychology, scripture, and um, counseling all all kind of mesh together for me. So I like that. I like how we're gonna how we're different though because you're a when you. You're a pastor. You're, I'm you're, a pastor. That's yeah. right. I'm in the uh, Presbyterian Church in America. I I uh, just very briefly went and uh, kind of grew up in a home where we went to church, um, uh, but I didn't have a grounding in any particular denomination or or really, uh, I didn't have a great understanding of the Bible. Um, and so I just kind of grew up with a recognition that the church was important. And I should go, but I didn't really like it. And so it wasn't until junior high um, that I really enjoyed church and had a very influential youth pastor in my life, um, Oscar Diego, who uh, just invested time and energy into me and, and encouraged me to consider pastoral ministry, which as a junior hire was quite influential, right? To have someone at that young of an age telling me, that I should consider this route for, uh, for my life. And, um, you know, so vocational pastoral ministry was what I was thinking about in high school. I was like, if someone said, what do you want to do? I would say, well, I want to be a, a pastor. Um, and then I just uh, actually before in between junior high and high school, my youth pastor, uh, drowned in a water ski accident. Uh, he, not an accident. He was, it was a water ski trip at our local lake and he, you know, had lunch and then went out into the water and disappeared for an hour. And then they pulled him out, found him. And, um, you know, they tried to do CPR, but he was, he had long been dead. It was really, really tragic and devastating for the church. He was such an influential, um, individual in, in many lives. He, uh, uh, there are several, uh, friends of mine who we still talk about his impact in our lives. Um, so when he died, it just kind of, it, it made the, the root for my desire to go into pastoral ministry that much deeper. And I, I really took it to heart and thought, man, this, um, you know, I really want to pursue that if it, if it is God's call and not just a, you know, a, a youth pastor who's saying nice things to a young man, right? right. I think yeah. there was something the Lord was doing through him in my heart to, to move me in that direction and throw so through high school and then early college got that confirmation. But I had a, a long trek into the, what I eventually joined was a PCA and um, went to seminary in 2008 and met you and had an internship at first Prez in Jackson, Mississippi. And I just had a, we're both first, yeah, I yeah. We're both interns. That's uh, right. They stuck me in the basement. I think they liked you more. <laughs> All right. Well, whenever, yeah, I, whenever yeah. I see Lincoln Duncan, I'm going to ask him about that. It's like, why did you guys stick me in the basement? I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's funny. Part. Well, no, I was in the hallway right. for most of my internship. So, okay. you know, anyways, it was it was it was a great internship. Really, really enjoyed uh, the yeah. the people. Uh, the other interns, um, my mentors, I worked with Nate Sheridan in the beginning, oh, yeah. eventually transitioned Great. to uh, Billy Dempsey, who have who just remain dear friends. And um, all the interns, we uh, are, are still in touch. So um, the simple degree that I have is an MDiv from RTS like you. And um, I don't have all the additional degrees that you got, but um, yes, but I am a insecure and i have to prove that i'm smart so yeah yeah no i get it um, <laughs> i'm just kidding. yeah i used so, to be i used to be used but to i be think a, yeah I, well, I think with uh the difference in our roles in you know like you're a th uh therapist marriage yeah, and family right. uh, you do marriage mm -hmm. and family, family therapy so counseling with um with a lot of people on a regular basis whereas i'm a less of that but in a pastoral mm -hmm. role there's a lot of crossover with counseling. Um, yeah. 
I just don't have all the expertise on a lot of those those matters. So it'll be a little bit of interesting dynamic to, you know, from my role thinking about how this impacts the way I preach and disciple people. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're thinking in terms of, not, you know, how you engage. And, and I think you do, we talked about this, your, your role isn't necessarily, you're not a Christian therapist. You're a therapist who is Christian, who have kind right. of a, you know, so you have a Christian worldview, yeah. but that's not necessarily always coming into your counseling, right? No, no. I know I probably would offend some of my, um, well, we, we uh, there's this, uh, there's this, form of counseling called nuthetic counseling that is that says that you really can't do very good counseling unless that person's a christian so we maybe one day we'll have to talk about that so i'm not a what you would yeah. call a a quote biblical counselor i'm um even though i'm sure. a, yeah christian christian i probably i would say 80 percent of my clients are are not of faith and no particular faith i mean some of them are some of them are maybe just yeah only a few would, would identify as christian and um so maybe like going back on the, yeah, I'm interested when we uh, talk about some of these things, because a lot of these, when I first moved up here to Massachusetts, I was not what you would call a conservative or a quote, a political conservative. I think, you know, I'd always been after my um, faith. I, I don't think I ever went astray. Uh, theologically, I would still say like I adhere to the Westminster Convention and all of that, but politically I was much more liberal about nine years ago when I first moved up here. So a lot of these have been a lot of these questions like race and if we get to criminal justice, economy, family, all that stuff. I, this has been an evolution for me, mainly through listening to my clients and uh, listening on the job. So I'm, yeah. To kind wow. of, yeah. Anyway. So. Yeah, that, that is interesting. And, um, yeah. and we definitely can talk about some things where I, you know, I think we would, we would, we will have some, some differences and I think it will be fruitful dialogue either way. Um, no. But is, so the, the only other thing I would say about from just my personal story that I'd like to share is, is just on, you know, on the, the one hand, there are objections to the church, you know, or at least pastors um, partnering with the world to fight social justice causes, right. To, to mm-hmm. turn the church into uh, you know, social gospel, right? Just taking all the issues and Christianizing them. And really it's all about changing the world, mm-hmm. transforming the world and not so yeah. much aiming the, the gospel and discipling people and actually fulfilling the Great Commission, right? So, but you also, on the other hand, right, that's on one side, but then on the other side, you have advocates, you know, those who would advocate for the church to simply preach the gospel. Don't do anything else. Don't ever talk about social issues. Um, that doesn't mm. matter. Just preach the gospel and that's your calling and that's your focus. And and so I would just like to say that, um, mm. you know, the gospel needs to be our foundation. We need to be grounded in that, but uh, there are implications for how we interact with the world. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe we should also just talk about what, what, because there's, there seems to be a real contention going on. I mean, there's a, there's a fire burning on in me lately that I have never felt before. I mean, maybe I, cause I mean, I think I, I would like to make the goal of this podcast to really, um, to just kind of, we don't want to be afraid of conversations. And I feel like, I think we are at the time where we're at a precipice of where free speech and conversations are basically being depleted. We have a culture, especially um, a younger culture that does not respect the value of free speech and they're being dominated basically by empathy more so than the ability to speak freely. Um, you have big tech companies, not to get too much into this, but like, you know, that are basically demanding blackmailing people like Zuckerberg and others that how, you know, basically saying we're, we're going on, politi- we're going on a strike because you quote, allow, um, quote, violence to communicate on your platform. I mean, that's the kind of mm. language it's being communicated right now. Now, as a family therapist, one of my biggest concerns on this is that I do study families and I do see what happens when you try to silence the black sheep in the family. It never bodes well. And I, I think one of the reasons why I do believe so strongly in free speech is because that's actually why we that's how you you bring some type of unity. So as a family therapist, I often see when mom and dad are trying to shut down Billy, who's constantly being objectionable, saying things that are really inappropriate, 
it never works out for the family. It always yeah. backfires every time. And Billy gets significantly much more rigid in his views. And I just see that that's basically what's going on right now is that what I'm really um, concerned about is that when you shut down so much dialogue, you create a polar opposite that just is ready to fight what you have to say. So, and Steven Pinker brings this point out too. It's like, you know, that the far left will often create a far right and the far right, right. will often create a far left. And it's like this ping pong approach. So I'm hoping that most of anything, I want people like when they listen on here, when we talk about stuff like white privilege, when we talk about systemic racism, when we talk about gender or sexuality, when we talk about race, is there is such a thing as, as, as the, you know, what should we do with Black Lives Matter as an organization? Can we say it as, you know, what should we do about some of the things that they propose? Does that mean that we somehow do not support our black brothers and sisters? Right. Um, there's, again, kind of like what I was saying earlier, I want, to, I, want to, I want us to be able to allow people to listen that it's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. Right. It's okay to be like, I don't agree with this. I agree with what you're saying. And that's the other thing too. I can't tell you the number of times I've been accused. And this is what I do as a job. I'm a therapist. I listen to people all day long. I can't, I, I have been accused by friends, people that are close to me, um, by people on Facebook, you know, whatever that I am quote, not listening. And it's huh. amazing to me that they are, what we have right now is that we have a, what I think what's going on is that if you agree, you listen, you're listening. If you don't agree, you're not listening. And I could very well listen to you all day long and yet not agree with you. And I, I think that's becoming an impossibility in today's culture. And I want our dialogue here to be, hey, that's actually not an impossibility. You know, we could strongly disagree with some of the things that are being said out there. You and I might disagree on some of the things that are being said out there. And yet we want to bring as much nuance to some of these discussions as possible. But I like what you said about, I, I do like what you said about, you know, where where do we as Christians play this role? And, you know, I mean, I, I think what, what was it? Niebuhr has, has what opposition to culture, you know, right. that somehow the church is against culture, Christ is against culture, then right. there's Christ of culture. And then I think he has like a combination where Christ is above. So I think we're, we're always trying to toy with that, you know, that yeah. reality. Yeah. All the time. So, well, and yeah, a couple just, of verses. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I just, I, I, because I think what's going on right now, and this is where the, the fire was kind of lit in me, you know, just um, right. um, it was we have got to be able to talk. We have to be able to bring some nuance to some of the, the stuff that's being propagated out there that's really concerning. And that's, a, that's, that looks like it's significant. I'm very concerned, you know, and so I'm hoping yeah. that this could be some kind of avenue where people, can be like, you know, in the closet and <laughs> listening yeah. to our podcast. Well, that is anyway. interesting. You you hmm. you post things on Facebook and you know people agree with it, but you don't know it through Facebook, <laughs> or at least they don't tell you. They'll send you a text or something. So you know people are thinking these things, but they can't say them because either they know they're going to radically offend really close and dear friends, or they're going to be they're going to lose their job. All right, I have. I, I know several oh. people who have personally said they can't say anything because they know they'll be fired, you yeah. know, in public education, for instance. So that stuff mm. is, is, is just crazy. The council culture that is silencing um, Christians from communicating the truth. Now, if we go with the agenda, we can speak all we want. If we if we follow in in line with what the culture wants us to say, then yeah, we can we can chime in all we need to. But but it's it's when you question it, and even just what was the the principal that was um, given paid leave, administrative leave because she she said to her kids that they shouldn't riot. Yeah, principal in Chicago basically uh, um, was was paid. Was yeah, I was asked to leave because she told her kids that if you riot, yeah, I, I just asked. I don't know the exact quote. Um, I don't either. You know, yeah. If you it, please, it, please don't riot and please don't loot. And she yeah. was uh, really put on her job. I mean, just um, I have I have I have family, I have friends, I have numerous people even messaging me um, privately and saying, you know, just. Um, Thank you for posting something. And it's so funny because I'm not, I, I, it's not like I'm very contentious. I just, 
again, just try to have nuance in some of these discussions. It's it's not like right. I'm wanting the whole thing to burn down. Um, it, it it's just what's being attacked right now is the ability to reason. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's that's maybe we should probably talk about some some things that we really want to focus on because I reason is something that we we, we need we need to have some kind of type of um, echo chamber of ideas rather than echo chamber of chaos <laughs> you yeah. know so you know and I like yeah I like the way you put that. That's good. Hmm. Well, let me, so yeah, before, before we jump to the various topics sure. and we'll try to be brief on, on each one of those, <laughs> but just to give a, our people a, a taste of, of the topics that we want to discuss. Um, right. But I, I wanted to close out some of the verses that came to mind as I was just thinking through how, how I respond, why I'm responding in the way that I am um, to those extremes, right? That as a pastor, I should only preach the gospel or as a pastor, I should be, I should be partnering with the culture right now and pushing for social justice in every, in every way. And um, for me, it's like Matthew 10, 16, uh, Jesus said, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It requires some wisdom to interact with the culture and you're in the midst of people who want to tear your faith apart. So the thing to think that we should partner with that is, is, is insane to me, right? We we need to be in the world, but not of it, right? So we should not be unequally yoked with the world and and trying to marry, um, you know, a, a Christian worldview with a secular worldview. All you're doing is is um, muddling the you know, muddying the waters. You're making it worse. So right. I, I think you have to. We need to come at the different topics with with wisdom, and that means just considering the truth of the information right not not simply hearing a person's story and assuming that that's indicative of our entire system or our entire culture so i do push back on some of those ideas and and i know that's part of really how like critical race theory is is um defined is is there's this assumption that that in the way we communicate within our race is uh, is a culturally defined thing. So uh, it's white to want data and statistics and it's um, it, it's distinctly um, you know black to desire uh, stories and and lived experiences to be shared. And and I think you need both, right? You need to have the experience, the stories you need to be able to show compassion to people based on their personal story. But mm-hmm. but I don't I don't approach that personal individual thinking this is how every individual that looks like you should be approached. Right. I mean, I there, you've got to be able to say there's there's nuance in these areas and within a race. Right. Uh, there's just no particular race that ha- is identical or everyone within that race is identical. So, so that's one thing is to have wisdom and then to be innocent as doves. That means you're not linking arms with people who are, are radically opposed to a Christian worldview. So, um, yeah. but yeah. then Ephesians yeah. 4 as well, is kind of a, for me, a motto as a pastor, what is my responsibility? Yeah. Paul says, uh, and he gave the apostles verse 11 of Ephesians 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's this idea of speaking the truth in love. I I need to be able to speak the truth into a situation where I see air, but I need to do it in such a way that shows compassion and love. And, and then I also need to be equipping the saints for this work. And it's not just uh, about discipling them to, to um, understand uh, how to read the Bible. They need to understand how to interact 
with their neighbor, right? They're to yeah. love God and love their neighbor. So yeah. when we do that, we need to make room for mm-hmm. calling out cunning, human cunning and craftiness right, in deceitful schemes, um, these way, various ways of doctrine that that re- that are represented in the culture um that those things have to be rejected and i think that's where we are we're w- right now the church is willing to compromise far too much in order to have a conversation about race oh yeah 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 why do you think that i mean i, I could tell you my my opinions about that but why do you think that is about because that that is that's actually one of the main concerns i've been i've i've felt very uh betrayed that's <laughs> probably the right word by many in the church and how much they're compromising on a lot of these issues. Maybe we should talk about the issues. I mean, because again, I'm yeah, just assuming yeah. that listeners have no idea what we're talking about. I don't want to lose that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. why they're into this intro to, to figure mm-hmm. out what exactly we're yeah. doing. So I, yeah, I agree. Let's jump into that. And um, the, the big issue we've you've already touched on it a couple of times is, is the racial tension that we're feeling right, right now. The, the topic of yeah. race, especially in our nation. Um, yeah. And I think mm. the question I'm asking is when and how did this shift into a mm. discussion about systemic and structural racism? Uh, do you, from what I've found, it really was kind of part of this, uh, just after the civil rights or even during the civil rights movement, maybe it was beginning to form, but the language of systemic and structural was not there during the civil rights movement. Um, racism had a, had faces attached to it. It had events and actions that you could point to um, or even a specific policy, right? That was, uh, yeah. that was a problem. Um, but but the concept, even um, when it was beginning to be defined as structural racism or systemic racism, um, comes from Stokely Carmichael's book, Black Power. Um, this, this is what Coleman Hughes argues, that it was initially addressed by, by Stokely Carmichael in that book. And it, uh, it was really a political alternative to Martin Luther King's Freedom Now motto. It's sort of mm. like, if we're ever going to change anything, we need to force... Um, people to, you know, to, uh, hear us and to let us, uh, you know, have a, have an impact upon the political process. Um, and, and it was a, a, a much, I, I think, a, a, a movement that was a little less concerned about, um, keeping it peaceful. <laughs> um, but I'm not, I'm not sure all the details about it, but I just know that this whole idea of systemic and structural racism is a pretty new concept. It's not like yeah. it's been around. And, uh, and so defining that term is important, right? Mm-hmm. Understanding what people mean by that. And what I see, and I want to hear your thoughts, mm-hmm. but what I see oftentimes when I ask that question is um, a reference to either an old policy that was already corrected right or these very um undefined kind of amorphous <laughs> ideas like implicit bias uh white privilege you know things that when they begin to define them are are really questionable in terms of mm-hmm. how you can, how much you can bank on that being a reality uh the concept mm-hmm. of white privilege is even newer, right? That came out in 1987 by Peggy McIntosh, who was really taking her views on gender issues and then transport, you know, transporting them over to race and, and trying to say, yeah, just like there's male privilege, there's also white privilege. And, uh, and so that's kind of the, where the concept came from, but it had a very, just, you know, there's nothing biblical or it's, it's a very secular concept. And now what's happening is the church, and this gets back to your question is what's happening. Why is the church compromised so much? Well, it's because we're absolutely buying into the rhetoric that we are hearing incessantly in the media, you know, mainstream media, and even on our Facebook timelines. And we're just trying to say, well, that makes sense. That makes sense, right? I am. I do have some biases in my own life. I I kind of start to judge people initially without even really getting to know them, and and they start they start to reason the concepts that started off 
extremely secular with a very different agenda agenda. And they say, well, that makes sense. And, and, and as a Christian, I can adopt that. I can agree with that, but they've not done any research to go back and realize where that comes from and what, what's the purpose in acknowledging it, right? Why mm -hmm. do we have to acknowledge our white privilege? And right. when you really look at privilege from a biblical point of view, you don't come away mm -hmm. with, uh, racial tension, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. racial disparity there. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I maybe did a little different I, I, here. I mean, I, I don't necessarily always have to go back to the Bible. Um, as a therapist, I go, I, I probably put a lot more emphasis on natural law, natural theology, common grace. I, 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 I do go back to the gospel a hundred percent. And so maybe this is where you and I, and this is why I'm glad that you and I are talking because I think you as a pastor do have to kind of go back where right. I think my concern primarily is not just a Christian, but also as a citizen um, yeah. is that I'm seeing a lot of division because I, I do believe um, that you, I, I, I want to see a better world as well. Right. You know, it, that I don't put that as an either or um, I want my, this is, the, and this is where me as a client, I, or as a clinician, if my, if my clients can stop yelling at one another and yeah. stop screaming at one another and have a better marriage, even though they never quote come to Christ, I, I feel okay putting my head on my pillow at night. Um, I do. Cause I mean, this is, like I said before, like as a, as a clinician, I'm kind of looking at things from a very different perspective. It doesn't mean that I don't want that. Again, my, my Christian friends might push back. Well, that doesn't mean you only care about their soul. And I, I, again, that, that's the, I'm in a secular environment. So maybe you and I may, may see things epistemologically a little different because that's my, my primary source, of course, is scripture, but it's also I'm, I'm in a secular environment. So right. I, I think some of my problems, I think, with, you know, with um, some of the. So are we talking about race? Are we, should we, should we, well, yeah, we're just talking about race and, and yeah. the idea yeah. of systemic racism. Um, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, what's your, what's, I mean, we don't need to get into details because sure. we're, again, we're just right. touching on the topics that oh, we're yeah. going to address, oh, but yeah. I do think exploring its origins is an important oh, part yeah. of the conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think I notice things a lot different. I mean, I teach at Endicott, I teach at a, a school and um, I could say that things have drastically changed in just the past five years, even amongst my students. Um, vastly, vastly changed. I, I, me personally, I mean, yeah, I, I'm aware of a lot of the old, old conversations about where it first, where it first got its um, start. I think, I don't think it really took off until around Black Lives Matter in 2015, especially with um, 2014's article with Tananisha Coates in the Atlantic. And um, it, you know, I think that was a very, very well written post, or not post, but article that I would encourage everybody to read just because Tommy Shakoch is an incredible writer. Um, at least in that, um, I, he, he does a pretty good job showing that there are issues of discrimination, especially in the housing and have been since like the red line and going way back in the sixties. And if that's true, then you can't just say you have to offer people of color or black people in particular, been not who are denied a significant amount of loans and housing loans especially after world war ii in the 1960s that somehow they should just quote get you know get over it and just work hard and right. um you know he, he did a he made a pretty good argument that there were some serious housing problems for a number of years now um not that we have to talk about this right now but i think as at the same time looking into that as a family therapist, I do understand structures and I also understand systemic structures. So if your mom and dad marry and then dad decides to have a quote an affair, let's talk about grandpa. Let's talk about great grandpa. You know, your great grandfather after World War II or maybe World, you know, during the 1930s decides to do something like, I don't know, leave his wife or something like that. Is that going to drastically affect your family? And most family therapists would actually say, yes, it would. It would, it would change the whole narrative of the whole family. Um, that's true. I think we could say that that is actually true, that there are institutions and there are systems in place, families, into culture, into countries, that, that can change the way we perceive things. However, um, at the same time, that doesn't necessarily explain that it doesn't explain all of behavior. 
And this is where I think this is the problem in today is that people will often use, quote, institutional, institutional racism. Therefore, because it's institutional racism, they'll make the, the quote, a logical leap into saying, well, that's why this person right here is constantly getting arrested. Right. And that's that's just, that's not necessarily the case. That's the fallacy of correlation there. And it's like in the sense that just because your great great grandfather may have done something wrong, or there were some serious systems in place that may have been all over, pretty chaotic, that still doesn't necessarily explain why particular people do certain things. And that's where I think um, whenever I meet with people, it's funny because people who actually don't get better are usually the people that are constantly looking at their natural environment and right. constantly blaming the natural environment as if it's caused them to not move forward to the next step. The people that do get better, that come in my, this is when I started changing actually, hmm. um, as a clinician became a little bit more quote conservative, whatever you want to call it, or libertarian, is that I noticed that people got a whole lot better when they started taking responsibility for things that were, were within themselves. Like, you know what, at the end of the day, Life has a lot of crap. What can I do about it? When my client did that, they, regardless of the color of their skin, they got better. Um, especially the ones that were, you know, addicted to any kind of substances. When they mm -hmm. finally said, it wasn't because of my mom, it wasn't because of my dad. Yes, my, my I grew up in a pretty traumatic environment, but I've got to do something about my alcoholism. Notice about all the, the personal pronouns I'm using. I'm going right. from them to I. Um, that's empowering. And so my biggest problem I think in today is that there's, when you're having these debates with people or conversations, you don't feel like you're having conversations with people anymore. You're feeling like you're having conversations with groups. You're right. feeling like this person is representing the, all of the lesbians and gays of every single person that, you know, LGBTQ, for example, or I represent black America, or I represent, you know, it's usually a white person. It's usually a straight person that represents both of those groups. It's kind of funny to me, you know, that are saying that I am the, somehow the, the spokesman for all of these people. And right. I put myself, you know, and, and when you're, and when that person is putting themselves in that place, I don't feel like I'm talking to an individual anymore. I feel like I'm talking to a person that is putting themselves in the place of it as if they were voted in to represent a whole group of people that they actually haven't quote, spoken to one-to-one -one with us at least i'm not assuming for mm -hmm. um you know for a long period of time um and again i'm just kind of bringing in right here like my this is why we need nuance is because such right. a, something like this quote institutional racism explains all of these particular behaviors well the problem right. with that is that there are numerous studies that come out there and say um you know as much as there might be institutional racism yes you still aren't going to necessarily get better better by being bitter at other people. Right, <laughs> so right. uh, you're, you're also not going to get better if you have an out, um, if you if you have a lot of blame. Period. Doesn't matter who you are. You're not going to improve if you um, if you just quote acknowledge the suffering that's around you. Just acknowledging the sufferings around you actually is not going to necessarily improve your trauma. In fact, if anything, sometimes it can make it worse rather than hmm. better. And so I think that's, I, I think what's going on right now is just there's a ton amount of virtual signaling, which gives oh, yeah. me the credit to cancel you because I don't feel like you're quote, helping these people. Therefore I have a right to emotional, use emotional blackmail, use even slander. And therefore I'm going to cut you off and then accuse you of quote, being a racist or being a, being a homophobe or being anti-trans, whatever you want to say. And right. then you are constantly in the defensive and you have to constantly defend yourself. And it's, a, it's, it's oppressive what's going on right now. It's, um, yeah. So hmm. anyway, anyway, well, yeah, no, sure. we could, we definitely uh, will have plenty of time to, to address issues of race. I think it goes into white privilege, intersectionality, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter. I think all of those mm -hmm. issues are things that we probably could spend an entire episode yeah, dealing yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, right. And multiple yeah. episodes in some cases. Multiple. And right. we'll get to the idea that we'd love to have guests on that can speak to these from a kind of an experienced and uh, a studied uh, position that's 
you know, more acquainted with the information than we are and would, would be informative that way. But we would still like to even respond at times, you know, maybe a follow-up episode would be to respond to the interviewers, uh, yeah. you know, information. Whereas we, right. I don't know, I'm looking should, forward to that. Go ahead. Yeah. I should probably say too, after saying all that, thank you for saying that. Cause if I can add on, what I'm hoping, though, too, is that other guests will be able to challenge my own assumptions. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, because I know I'm probably missing things. Exactly. I think we all are. And that's the need for relationships. I mean, John Gottman right. often talks about it's okay if you and your partner don't agree on things. But it's not okay when you get to the point where you look at her and you say, I don't like the person that you've become hmm. and you go from, uh, sweetie, you being late once in a while kind of drives me crazy, but I love that you talk to everybody in the church. Right. And she laughs. You're showing her that you love her differences. But when you jump to sweetie, you talking to everybody means that you're a selfish person. You're hmm. in bad place. You're in a bad place. And I feel like that's where we're, that's where we're at right now. It's like, we, yeah, yeah. Contempt is the number one reason why people divorce. And that's where I'm concerned is that we are looking at the other side, no longer with a sense of appreciation of saying, Hey, I need you to look to, to fill in the gaps of my groupthink, of my biases. But at the same time, if you've gone to the place where you look at where either of us is looking at the other person with contempt, with this either or, we're not at a good place. We're in a place where there can't be dialogue because I've already seen you with disgust and I already see you as an enemy. Yeah. And um, yeah, anyway. Well, so yeah, so the next issue um, would be, yeah. and I don't say next in terms of we've got it all mapped out. We're, we're gonna sure. kind of just go week, at a, week to week. And I think depending on the issues that are trending, it's important to interact with that as it's, as it's you know popular um because that's when you need to be in the conversation right you need to be interacting with it when people are talking about it not years later and it's too late to do anything now um yeah, so right. in my opinion like we not that we want to just be guided by whatever's the latest theory on on facebook or whatever but i think you have to um you know take a gauge for for what is on people's minds right now and try to talk about that as much as as best as we can. So one of the other issues I think that's important is gender and sexuality issues. Oh, yeah. um, cer certainly, mm -hmm. maybe it's taken a back seat for the present, but the Supreme Court just recently right made an important decision um, that would be worth exploring in future episodes. You know, dealing with um, with these uh, these issues of gender and sexuality, LGBTQ issues um and as, although it's 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 in itself is not unrelated to the issue of race because black lives matter right is an organization organization that makes that very clear they make a connection to the lgbtq agenda and two of the three founding uh, women for black lives matter are lesbian so they're intricately involved in both fronts right both uh, avenues of kind of cultural impact and and what ties them together is this kind of critical theory right you have the gender aspect of critical theory and you have like the race element of critical theory it's like this ultimate this umbrella that's really beginning to impact all of these various um, issues yeah. and, and I, I'm not yeah. even ready to talk about all of these things yet which is partly why I you know going back to kind of my role here is I want to be able to talk about them and engage them with uh, with others, especially someone who can give me pushback on maybe where I'm not seeing things clearly. But um, but I want to be able to critique what I'm reading, and uh, you know, I think you can do that to some degree on Facebook, but it usually just gets you get you know you get silenced. Those who don't yeah. want to hear you just they just mute you <laughs> or they unfriend you. And, um, and so I think in this case, I can have a dialogue with you about it. Am I, you know, say, am I crazy to think that this is just outlandish 
this particular book is promoting something that it doesn't make any sense. I want to be able to talk to someone about that and right. and not just right. look like some guy who's just throwing out hate into Facebook yeah. <laughs> and it's perpetuating the topic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is sensitive topic. Yeah. Any thoughts on that particular topic before we? Yeah. Yeah. I think it just goes back to, I think, you know, what you're going to probably hear from me a lot is I do believe the sovereignty of the individual. And what I mean by that, I think little, you know, if I could go back to family, if I could be the family therapist again, I, I know when I'm listening to a whole family and they're describing Betsy, (laughs) um, they're not always doing a very good job. Um, they might be able to describe the history of the family, but at the end of the day, until Betsy comes in my office and she explains how she sees things, I'm never really going to understand her. And I think I, what I would be really interested in is why the conversation really hasn't progressed since gay marriage has been accepted in 2015. I mean, my own journey has been kind of interesting because I, you know, like when it comes to, I mean, we could talk about that a little bit more, but it's, it's, it's not, it's, um, yeah, it's, we will have to talk about that when the, when the episode comes, but I, I will just say that people who are gay have very different concerns than people who are lesbian and people who are bi and people who are trans and people who are queer. Huh. And I think what's going on right now is that we've kind of clumped them all together and we yeah. all speak to them as if they're one unit. Right. There are multiple um, people that don't necessarily, for example, believe that women who, excuse me, men who transition as women should be in women's sports who are gay, right. who identify right. as gay. Um, there are multiple gay and lesbians, for example, who one, one in particular who did a study at Brown University and she was actually canceled out, uh, wow. lesbian, you know, who just wanted to um, look at the rate of how many trans people go back to their biological sex um, or how similar it was, excuse me, it was this, how similar it was to bulimia, those types of things. She was canceled out because it didn't quite fit the narrative. So I think that what's really, what, what I, I, I think what's going on, it's actually, it's preventing, it's actually when, when people prevent dialogue from occurring, and I would say the number one thing when people think of gender and sexuality now is mainly transgenderism. More, I think people people no longer think gay anymore, in my opinion. I think more people people are more thinking of gender identity and how that's different from sex. I think the culture has jumped so so quickly on this. Ask me ten years ago when I had my gay friends and I would have conversations with them, it was that. Now I would say it's trans. And, and that's probably the motive that the, the number one thing that's motivating the LGBTQ movement more so than any of the other quote wow. um, labels. That's just me. Um, and that's just what I've noticed because it's not just quote other Christians that they're shutting down. It's also other gay people that they're shutting down. It's other lesbians that are shutting down that are being shut down. If they don't say, for example, some of the things that they're pushing for. So it's, it's um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would say that, me personally, I think we would improve, and we, we if we can if we can separate each of these topics individually and address because they all have different concerns. Right. Um, you could you could be, for example, totally for gay adoption, two gay men having an adoption, gay marriage, and um, not think that your fifteen year old boy that identifies as trans should get hormones. And if you do all three of those things, though, um, if you if you have that one objection, that last one, you are no longer considered a quote supportive of LGBTQ rights. But notice that what they've done is you're supportive of gay rights, but that doesn't matter anymore because you're no longer a supporter of that particular issue. You don't think your 15 year old boy or 12 year old boy should maybe transition. You are now no longer a supporter. And so there's binaries immediately set up, and um, Again, that that requires a whole lot of debate, a whole lot of dialogue, because there's still a, there's still a ton we don't know about right. what happens with um, the recidivism rate or the the um, not the recidivism rate, but the you know the um, 
the detransitioning rate, which is actually pretty high. It's getting higher and higher. There's just a lot that we should just sit down and have a cup of coffee um, and, and discuss. Another one would be criminal justice, a very much a big issue right now with defunding the police, police reform, uh, mass incarceration. Uh, these mm. topics are obviously related right now to Black Lives Matter or, or the race issue directly, but they go beyond that as well. Police reform in general is something that I think, you know, everyone can get behind to a, le to a degree, but at what level is it in need of reform? And that's where mm -hmm. I think you start to have some, uh, I certainly would be more inclined to push back against the idea that the whole system needs to be restructured, right? Maybe some additional training, maybe some additional safeguards in place, um, like, you know, body cameras being universal, stuff like that. But, you know, those are police reform that's actually already happening in a lot of places. Yeah. And right. I think this concept of defund the police just says, no, everything that you're doing to reform it, let's just get rid of it all. Let's burn it all down and start with anarchy and build from there. And I think that's a ridiculous notion. You know, oh, it's actually, yeah, it's, I think it's insane. Actually, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a form of intent. Well, it is Marxist, though. It is like the, the two founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. They are trained in Marxism. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're they're about Marxists, and so what they're trying to do is um, is basically everything is power and structure, and uh, you know, and, and and so systemic. This is why Marx wanted to burn the whole thing down. Marx wanted to burn the whole thing down because he didn't think you could just start all over again because you you you'll always have a vestige of bad capitalism, for example. Right. And so they're looking at it the same way. You'll always have a vestige of um, of quote white privilege or you know um, slavery or something like that. So we have to burn the whole thing down before something else new can appear or before something helpful can appear. So uh, I'm not surprised that they're that, that they're that they're supporting that. Unfortunately. Again, nuance. <laughs> so right. that has actually been done before. Um, I know some people quote the New Jersey, but that's not a very good. That's not a very good study because New Jersey didn't just start all over. New Jersey actually had a lot of changes within before, and they had a lot of accountability. Right. It's not. It, that's not anywhere. Yeah, when near. I watched that, it wasn't yeah. defunding the police. It was a. It was a. No. Reason. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're talking about accountability, I think there's no. And this is the thing. When it comes to George Floyd. Nobody I can think of is against what happened. That what happened to him is was awful. I don't know right. anybody. That I don't either. And the same thing goes with you know um, when it comes to police reform. I think most. I mean, I, I'm friends with police, and they would even say to you, "It's just like yes, the lack of accountability within our own network is is not good. We there are people that have way too much power." But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that lot that podcast. <laughs> so that it'd be good. Sooner than later, just because it is such a issue immediately, right? And I do feel like I, yeah. you know, I want to push back on that often because the the concepts are coming right into our, you know, we're going to be voting on these issues shortly, right? So it's like if if you have a, a voice to to chime in, you should do it now rather than later, or or your police department's going to be, yeah. You know, its budget's going to be drastically weakened. Um, and I would say that BLM has now completely affiliated itself with defund the police. Oh, and right. Their website. Yeah. It's, it's totally connected. It's, it's, um, there's no separation. That's, that is the number one thing that they're pushing for. That right is now. their agenda. So yeah, yeah, before we even get into the intricate, you know, issues with other aspects of BLM, I think you have to deal with defund the police. Um, I, I would love to talk and explore mass incarceration. I, you know, the, I, the connection with race, I think you do get into um, economic disparities as well. It's a, it's almost an unhelpful category to begin speaking in terms of equality outcome because it, it removes everything else. Well, we should probably also tell the listeners too that, you know, equality of opportunity, the best way it was uh, described to me was, what is it that we all start the race of life at the same time? But equality of outcome attempts to ensure that everyone finishes at the same time. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. That's so, cool. you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good kind of like a, a little good summary. You know that, um, and the people that are really pushing that, making sure that everyone finishes at the at the same time, um, as Jordan Peterson really points out, like those aren't necessarily the people you really want in power, and that's right. socialism, that's communism. 
really exactly. right there. And it, that's why it does. It did so much damage because who's the one that really chooses that? And is the right. person that's actually choosing that, are they really bitter? Are they angry? Are they, are they really upset the fact that this person somehow has more and therefore I'm demand that he has less? Is that the spirit that he's coming to? And if he is, what makes you think that once that's, once that's quote achieved, that he's somehow at a better place that, you know, Frank who makes $150,000 a year. Now he makes 75. He got him back. Okay, good. He's got him back. Yay. Now he's, he's making what I make. Do you really think that this person that's making those demands is somehow psychologically better? I don't think so. You don't have any research whatsoever that says that people that come from that place, that they become better people, quite the contrary. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's like, those are people that you don't always, that's, you don't necessarily want to find um, on the other side of the aisle making the decisions. Right. Because they're the people that often cause a significant amount of harm because they are coming from a place of contempt, not necessarily quality. And it, you know, and it's, it's just, I think it's, I think in all of these, you know, if everything, if we could kind of, um, what all of these have in common for me is just the sense that if you go against my worldview, you are part of the problem. I'm good with wrapping it up like that. And if oh, there's any yeah. parting thoughts, yeah. I look forward to getting together again in a week. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll have awesome. to say about all of these things. But yeah, yeah. record it us next time so you can uh, yeah, join me. Yeah, I agree. It would be nice. All right. Yeah.